welcome to the Access Church Podcast. So we're going to start a, a new series today called Kingdom Identity. Kingdom Identity. And we're going to talk about our, our place in the kingdom, kingdom citizenship. And for the last couple of weeks, I, I have just felt the Holy Spirit and uh, just, just nudging me to speak upon identity. And in and, and, and last few weeks, I have mentioned the fact that the reason that Satan will most often attack our identity is because he understands in the kingdom that our, our authority is tied to our identity. Our authority is tied to our identity, right? And so that's why the enemy will often speak to your identity. He will call you a sinner. He will call you a failure. He will call you a drunk. He will call you a fornicator. All of those things are attacking your, your, your identity within the kingdom. So it's important for us to understand that identity is very key in the kingdom, your purpose determines your calling. Your calling determines your function. Your function determines your identity. And your identity determines your authority. I'm going to say that again. Your purpose determines your calling. Your calling determines your function. Your function determines your identity. And your identity determines your, your authority. So let me put it this way. Your purpose defines your mission. Your mission defines your mantle. And your mantle defines your identity. Where do I get this from? Well, in Scripture, in, in biblical times... People were identified by the type of mantle that they would wear. The Pharisees had a certain type of mantle that they would wear. The Sadducees had a certain type of mantle that they were, would wear. The Levites, the rabbis, would have a, a, a certain type of mantle. And when you would identify that mantle, you understood who that person was. And, and for instance, remember in Luke chapter 5, this is the very first time that Jesus shows up on the scene. He goes to the Sea of Galilee to call the very first disciples, and he finds Peter, James, and John, and they're washing their nets, and he shows up, and he asks to use their boat. And the first thing that Peter says, he says, he calls him rabbi. How did he know Jesus was a rabbi? Because he identified Jesus by his mantle. He understood that that he was a rabbi, that that he was he was a, a teacher. And your mantle will define your authority. Could you imagine if I stood out here on, on Main Street trying to give people speeding tickets? Like that would be pretty cool if I just stood out there and got some lights and be like, Ooh, pull over, pull over, right? You know, I'm gonna cite you for speeding a thousand dollars, make your you make your check to access church, right? Right, you know, and, and oh, no insurance, no seat belt, you know. Can, can you, I, I have no authority, right? Because I'm not identified as a law enforcement officer. But if you take a, a, a Leo, a law enforcement officer, with, and you put on their uniform, you put on their badge, now there is an authority tied to that mantle. Are you following me? right? There is an authority tied to that mantle. That changes the, the whole dynamic. That changes the, the whole picture. So our identity is key in the kingdom of God. Now let's look at what, how Paul defines us in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, 18 and 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. I, I, I like the, the paraphrase version in the New Living Translation. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are citizens along with all of God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. You are citizens, but you are members of God's family. So when we look at Scripture, we can ascertain that God's original plan was never to start a church or to start a religion. God's original plan was to extend his kingdom here on the earth through the administrative leadership of man. To extend his kingdom, his rule, his governance, his power, his authority here on the earth 
through the administrative leadership of man. Secondly, to establish a family of sons and not of subjects. And, and, and I understand that it's hard for us to understand that we are a kingdom of sons and not of, of subjects. Number three, to establish a community of citizens and not Christians. In fact, you, you'll very rarely hear me identify myself as a Christian or identify us as Christians. Why? Because Christian is not a word that God uses to identify us. The word Christian came from the people of Antioch defining what the New Testament calls believers or those in the way, right? So it is not a word that God uses to define us. It was a word that others used to define us, right? And we know that Christian means little Christ or, or like Christ, right? And, and it's not a bad thing, but it's very important to understand that the, the kingdom of uh, the spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness are very legalistic. When you deal with the enemy in his kingdom, he is very legalistic. And if you try to come at him with, with, with a different identity, he will look at you and, and, and realize that you have no authority. So it's important that we understand and we stand on who God has called and created us to be. The fourth thing is God's original plan was to establish a relationship in not a religion. So when I look at, at, at scripture, I, I see that we have a triune identity. It is a threefold, and, and, and it doesn't surprise me. Why? Because the Bible says that he made us in his image and his likeness, right? And, and God is triune. He is three in one and one in three. And so I, I can see in scripture that the first thing that, that God sees us is as kings and priests, or or because we are a, a kingdom of priests. We are kings and priests. Exodus 19.6 says, And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give to the people of Israel, right? So I know you're saying, but pastor, that is that is a promise given to the Israelites. And I'm not here preaching replacement theology. I don't believe that the church replaces Israel. That's not what I'm saying. But if you even go back to what Paul says, he says, now you are, you are a citizen along with God's holy people referring to Israel. He's talking about how we have been grafted together to become one family, right? So we are a kingdom of priests. In Revelation 5.10, we fast forward. It says, and you have caused them to be a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth, right? So we are a kingdom of priests. What do kings do? Kings decree and kings govern, right? And, and it's so important for us to understand that kings decree and kings govern. When you understand uh, uh, monarchy and you understand feudal feudal uh, uh, feudalism, which is kingdom government, you understand that when a king speaks, right? When a king speaks, whatever he says becomes a law. It just automatically. And a king cannot violate his law, right? And, and in fact, we, we see that in Scripture when King Nebuchadnezzar, he, you know, he was manipulated by his advisors to make it illegal for anyone to bow to any other god except for his golden statue, right? And so what happened? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they violated, violated that decree, and they still bowed and they prayed to the one holy God. And what happened is that they had to get in trouble. And the Bible says that even Nebuchadnezzar's heart was conflicted because he he really he he liked Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had he had favor on them, but he understood that when he speaks, right, he it, it becomes law, and there was no way to to retract that, right? And that's why kings were very, very, very careful with what they would say, right? And and because they would speak it and it would become law. They couldn't have their press secretary to go back and kind of walk back what they what he tried to say, right? Because whatever he said, it would have to be law. That's the way it, it functioned, right? And, and so when we understand that, now we can understand scriptures where it says that you and I, we can call those things that aren't as though they are. 
Why? Because we are speaking of a place of authority. Do you know when we say that he is the king of kings, do you know who we're talking about? Who's the king? It's not who? Who's the king? Jesus, Yeshua, Adonai, whatever you want to call him. That's who he is. He's the king. If he's the king, who are the kings? He's the king of kings. Jesus is the king, and then the kings is you and I. So the best way to picture this is he is king with the capital K, and we are king with the lower case K, right? We are, we are the kings. Why? What did he say? And you shall be a kingdom of priests, and you shall reign, right? And, you have, and they will reign on the earth, right? So we've got to understand. That's why when you speak, your words have authority, but you've got to stand on your kingdom identity. Who are you? I am a king, right? I, I am a, a son or daughter of the king. I, am, I have authority here on the earth. And then it is twofold because we are also priests. What do priests? Priests do. Priests worship and they sacrifice, right? Priests worship and they sacrifice. So we are a kingdom of priests. We, we serve, we sacrifice. Do you realize that that's what Jesus is? In theological terms, Jesus was prophet, priest, and king, right? David being a shadow or a type of Christ was a prophet, priest, and a king, right? So they were showing us the model of you, the way that you and I in this day would live and function. The second thing that we, I see in scripture, first we are kings and priests, but secondly, we are also, we have sonship. Our identity is sonship. We are a kingdom of sons and not subjects. And like I said, I, I know it's hard for us to understand that idea or that concept that we are a kingdom of sons, but it's important for us to know that sonship is the greatest position within a kingdom, greater than any general, greater than any advisor, greater than any 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 captain why because when you understand kingdom government when you understand kingship and you understand kingdom government do you realize that the prince and the princess have just as much authority in the kingdom as the king does There's, there's, there's no delineation or distinction with the level of authority. That means when the prince speaks, it's just like if the king speaks. I, I mean, that should cause a paradigm shift in your life when you understand that when you speak, when you recognize your identity as, as a son of the king of kings, as, as a son or daughter of the king, that when you speak, you have the same level of authority when he speaks. That, I mean, that, that should revolutionize your prayer life. That should revolutionize the way that you see, the way that, the way that you speak. So here on the earth, we are to serve as servants, but we are to live as sons. We are to serve as servants, but we are to live as sons. And then finally, the third thing is I see that we are citizens, right? And that's what Paul says, that we are citizens along with God's holy people. What do citizens do? They administer, they're stewards, they multiply. So when we look at, at God's original plan, we see that it was his plan to extend his ruler government through the administrative leadership of mankind. And just like every government, Government, the kingdom of God has established principles and protocols for its citizenry. In other words, what the government expects of its citizens. And we find in the Constitution, how many of you know that the kingdom of God has a constitution? Do y'all know what the constitution of the kingdom is? That it? The Bible. That's the constitution, right? That's the constitution and bylaws, right? That is the the, the foundational doc, document for our government, right? So within the Constitution, he outlines the, the requirements or the expectations of you and I as, as citizen sons of, of the kingdom. 
So in Genesis 1, 26 and 28, we see where he lays out these expectations for us as citizens of his kingdom. Go with me to 1, 26 to 28. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So what we see here, the first thing that God gives to man is ability, right? He said, let us make man or mankind in his image and likeness, right? When you look at that in the original language, what he's saying is that he made us to be like him, which is spirit, but also to function like him. We are created to function like God. So God gives us ability. Then the second thing, God gives us authority. He, right, he says, I, I'm giving you ability, but I'm also giving you authority. And then the third thing he does is he gives them an assignment, right? He gives them an assignment. But it's important to know that our authority is based on our identity, right? Identity. My authority here in this in this. Uh, uh, United States, this democratic republic government that we operate, my authority is as a citizen. I have rights. I have benefits. I have privileges. Why? Because of my identity. I identify according to my passport is I am a U.S. citizen. And as a citizen, what does that give me? That gives me rights and that gives me privileges. Are you following me? Well, in the kingdom of God, it's the same thing. You've got to know who you are. If you think that this relationship with God just is relegated to being a member of Access Church, I'm going to tell you that the enemy is going to come at you and you're going to stand against him and oppose him and you're not going to stand with any authority if you come as a church member that that doesn't mean anything but when you stand before him and say i am a son and daughter of the king i am a king and a priest i am a citizen of the kingdom now i have rights and privileges and benefits now th that makes the difference does that make sense are you following me so your authority is based on your identity. So this first assignment, after he gives them ability and authority, now he gives them an assignment. It says to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, this is a, a twofold process, right? It, it's a double process. To be fruitful means to establish the kingdom of God in us, right? And then to multiply means that we extend the kingdom of God. But before we can multiply it, we have to be it. Does that make sense? Before we multiply the kingdom, the kingdom has to be in us and through us and, 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 and a part of us, right? So he says, he, there's a reason why he puts it in this order. He says, be fruitful. In other words, show fruit that you're a kingdom citizen, right? Show, show proof based on your actions, your attitude, your love, your, your, your way of speaking, your way of, of talking, the way that you comport yourself. You've got to be fruitful. Before you can be fruit, before you can multiply, you have to be fruitful. So that word fruitful means to produce a fruit, a benefit, or a utility, right? A utility. So in Genesis 1.28, he says, the, he says he blessed them, right? He blessed them. That word bless means to be given the ability or capacity to be fruitful, right? When, when it says that God blesses you, a lot of times we think God's blessing is stuff, right? Like, nice car. I'm just blessed. That's the blessing. No, that your car is not the blessing. Your job is not the blessing. Your promotion is not the blessing, right? The, 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 the raise is not the blessing. The bonus is not the blessing. The new contract is not the blessing. That's a fruit of the blessing. The blessing is God's ability, supernatural ability, giving you the, the, the ability or the capacity to produce so that you can be blessed. Are you with me? 
We confuse oftentimes the fruit of the blessing for the blessing, but the fruit is not the blessing. The fruit is the fruit of the blessing, right? So, so it says to produce a benefit or utility. So that word bless means to be given the ability or capacity to be fruitful or reproduce. That is the same word that was spoken over Abraham's wife, Sarah, when, when God spoke to her in Genesis 17, 16, he said that she would be, that he he blessed her and said that she would give birth to a son, right? You're going to be give birth, right? That's the same word. When he said blessing, he was, he was releasing in her the ability to be fruitful, to, to reproduce. So we've got to understand this principle that fruitfulness comes before multiplication. You must be fruitful before you multiply. Now, in order to be fruitful, that implies that we must we must achieve a certain level of maturity right in fact in our physical bodies right in our physical bodies in order to reproduce healthily the 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 body must reach a certain level of maturity right in order for a a, a woman, a female to produce, contrary to what you've heard on the news, only women can give birth to babies, okay? I know it's very controversial today, right? But that's the reality, right? Um, that's the reality. And, and, and when, in order for a woman to produce, her body has to reach a certain level of maturity. Uh, many years ago, I read an article about this young girl, 10-year-old girl in Spain that was pregnant. I, I know, it's just crazy, right? Can you imagine your 10-year-old daughter in the fourth grade like, Mommy, Daddy, I'm pregnant, right? But this little 10-year-old girl got pregnant, right? And, and it, they were a part of a, a, a gypsy tribe, and in that gypsy tribe, she became a bride to, to, one of the, to one of the chiefs of the tribe and all that stuff, right? So we got to pray that the gospel reaches them. And, and, and the doctors were concerned. Why? Because of her immaturity, her physical immaturity, could cause her to be personally damaged on the inside, even leading up to death to give birth, right? So there's a reason why we don't give birth until we reach a level of physical maturity, right? So you have to be fruitful, right? You, you, you have to reach maturity before you can be fruitful, right? The capacity to produce. Now, I've said this before that the principles of the kingdom are parallel to the principles of our physical world. So what happens in the physical also happens in the spiritual. So just like in our physical life, Life begins through a birthing. The spiritual life also begins through a birthing. That's why when we ask if someone saved, we ask, have you been born again, right? Because we draw a parallel to new life. So what happens in the, the, the physical also happens in the spiritual. So just the same way that in order for us to reproduce healthily, we must achieve a certain level of maturity in the spirit for us to reproduce, we have to be mature. Tell your neighbor, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. So in the physical, you need to grow in mature, right? Have you ever met have you ever met somebody that's 30, 40, and they just refuse to grow up? Right? Have you ever met somebody like they're 30 and 40 years old, and like, like can you go to the movies? Oh, I got to ask my mom or dad. Like, what? Like, how old are you? Right? <laughs> like, no. Like, grow up. It's, it, you, you see somebody. Can you imagine seeing a 30-year-old walk in, you know, with, with his BB, his blanket, and a diaper? Right? Right? You would be like, okay, it's time to get potty trained, right? You know, it, it looks ridiculous. Well, in the same way, when people are 30, 40 years in the gospel and they're coming to church and they never grow up, you look just as ridiculous in the spirit, right? We must grow and we must mature. In fact, Paul speaks to us about the need for maturity in 1 Corinthians 13, 11. He says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Why was Paul writing this to the Corinthians? Do you guys remember when we taught about the gifts of the spirit? We did a Bible study series on the gifts of the spirit. Remember we talked about the Corinthians? They were like super extra. 
right? They were like super extra. They would literally have like prophesying contests. Like one would prophesy and say, oh, that's nothing. Watch this. And, and then one would speak in tongues and the other one, oh, I can speak in tongues. And they would speak loudly and more loudly. And, and, and they were just, and then Paul finally has to say, guys, it's time for you all to grow up. Essentially, that's what was going on with the church in Corinth, that they, they just refused to grow up. They did not want to do things in God's order. And so Paul is saying, hey, guys, it's time to grow up. I, too, there was a time when I was a child. But when I grew up, I had to put away childish things, right? He's addressing the need to mature and the need to grow up. And in fact, we also see that the author of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5, 12 through 14, he says, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others, right? When, when you read this the way it is written, you could actually feel the frustration of the author. Like how many of you have, are, that are parents and, and you got your kids in that, that tween stage, right? They're not really kids, but they're not really young adults or youth. They're just like in that really weird, awkward stage. And don't they just frustrate the heck out of you? You're like, dude, like one minute they're trying to be all independent. The next minute they're running to your own room in the middle of the night because it's thundering outside. You're like, decide. Are you going to be independent and grow up? Are you going to, right? It's just there, right? It's frustrating when you start raising your kids and they should have, start exhibiting a level of, of responsibility and maturity. And that's what is going on. The author's like, guys, you know, you should be the ones teaching now, but instead you need someone to teach you again the elementary or the basic things about God's word. You are like babies, who need milk and cannot eat solid food. Let me tell you, to a kid, there's like no lower you can go when you call him a baby. The other day, Malachi came home from daycare and he was mad because he hit a kid. I said, well, why did you hit him? He called me a baby. Like, <laughs> like that's low, right? That's like low, like that's a low blow. You call him a baby, right? Like, dude, you still pee in your pants sometimes. You know, maybe, maybe it's true, right? And so he, he's saying that you're like babies. It's time for you to eat solid food, right? For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Do, do you see that he is equating maturity with your ability to live according to God's principles? He says, if you're mature, then you should know how to do what's right. You should know how to live what's right. You shouldn't be writing, Pastor, is this okay or is this not okay? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? No, because when you're mature in Christ and you're mature in the word, you already know what is right, right? And then he says, verse 14, solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. So he's speaking to us once again about the need to mature. So I'm going to give you three key indicators that determine your level of spiritual maturity. Get ready. Number one, attitude. Your attitude towards authority. Your attitude determines your level of spiritual maturity. We talked about this before. Immaturity always perceives authority as control. Immaturity always perceives authority as control. Just watch your little kids play school or play house, right? Right away, when someone wants to be the mom or the dad, or they wants to be the teacher. When the little, we, all, we all have that little, that little bossy girl in our circle of friends, right? I'm the teacher, right? You got to do what I say. You're staying after school, right? Why? Because in her mind, because of her immaturity, she sees authority as the ability to control and tell everybody what to do. That little girl in my, in my circle was my older sister. She was the bossiest of the bossy. If you watch this, Leanne, I love you. But you are bossy, right? Because that's how immaturity perceives authority. You're controlling, right? You, you want to control. In fact, that, that's where a lot of church hurt comes from. People who have been in, in church and have gotten hurt is because they've given people authority before they've had the opportunity to mature before they reach, reach maturity. And then they want to control you and tell you what you need to do and tell you how you should do it. That's not how it works. But when you're immature and under authority, now you think they're trying to control you. That's why your, your teenager rebels. You just, you just want to control me. You just don't want me to have friends or have fun. 
No, it's not that we're trying to control you. We're trying to keep you from making mistakes that we made, right? Even as a pastor and leader, you know, years ago there was a, a, youth, a youth group that we were overseeing, and, and it also, a lot of times it's like we don't want to use their, 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 their ideas, right? And it's not because their ideas are bad, but because of our maturity, we see things that they don't see. And one of those things happened is that these guys had saw a game called Chubby Bunny. They probably saw it on TikTok somewhere. And, and Chubby, how many of you guys know what Chubby Bunny is? Chubby Bunny is when you take marshmallows and you stick it in your mouth and you say Chubby Bunny, right? But it's a competition. The person that gets the most marshmallows and can say Chubby Bunny wins, right? The problem is, is that they have done that in youth groups where youth have died because they choke, so that is permanently banned from any access church activity. But a, a brand new youth leader that saw this on TikTok, like, dude, that's amazing. We're going to do this at youth. I'm like, no, you're not. We're not going to be responsible for anybody's death at access church, right? But because of our, our maturity and our, our level of experience, we've already been there and we've seen it. So it's not that we're trying to control you, we're really trying to help you. Does that make sense? So your attitude towards authority, your attitude towards work, right? Your attitude towards responsibility and your attitude towards, towards serving, right? So when we look at, at, at immaturity, the immature attitude is pretentious, the mature attitude is humbleness. The immature attitude is arrogance, while the mature attitude is meekness. The immature attitude is being entitled, and the mature attitude is being servant-minded, right? So let's look at the attitude of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, 13, verse 4 and 5. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So John right here is laying it out that Jesus did not have an identity complex. Jesus understood exactly who he was, right? And why that matters is because what, what happens next. It says, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and he poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So those of you that are familiar with the story, right? It, in those days, everybody would walk, and they all wore chanclas, right? And they wore sandals. And so the, 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 the feet would get really dirty. And it was customary when you would enter into somebody's house that the, the guest of the house would wash, the, the, the host would wash your feet unless they were wealthy. Then they would have servants. And it was the servant's responsibility to wash the guest's feet, right? And so imagine for a moment... Here's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and John makes it clear that he was not having an identity complex. The Bible says he knew who he was. He knew he came from God and that he'd be going back to God, right? He was quite aware of his divinity, but the says that he got up from the table and he, and I can just, this is the way my mind works, right? He had been walking with the disciples already for a couple of years. He had been teaching them and training them. They get to a place and nobody's moving. And Jesus is like, really, guys? I've been teaching and discipling and mentoring you. He goes, if nobody's going to do it, I'm going to do it myself. So he gets up. He takes off his robe. He ties a towel around his waist. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Jesus, the Son of God. Like el mero mero is the Greek for the king of kings, right? Um, <laughs> thank you for ever put that meme up. It was you, right? And then Tracy gave you a shout out, right? So here he was. He takes off his mantle. Remember, mantle is identity, right? He takes off his mantle, ties a towel, and he begins to wash their feet. Nobody got up to do it. Why? Because they thought they were too good. And what does Peter do? Peter's like, Jesus, wait, no, you shouldn't be doing that. There's people that do that for us. We're like, we're like, we're the crew, like Jesus and the disciples. 
Like, we're important. We're special. They have people. See, what you've got to realize that there was hierarchy and in, in, in servitude in the Hebrew culture. And it was actually the lowest level of servants that would have to wash the feet. So it wasn't that Jesus just took the place or the role of a servant. He took the lowest role. And he began to wash their feet. And Peter, Peter is like, Jesus, really, you shouldn't do that. Like, there's people that do that for us. Like, we're cool. We're important. We're VIPs here. And do you realize that this is the only place in Scripture of all the things, amazing things that Jesus did on this earth, this is the only place that he told his disciples to imitate him. This is the only place, the only time. Not when he, wrote, he, he, he wrote, took Lazarus, out of, Lazarus out, of, out of the grave, when he walked on water, when, when he healed the, 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 the paralytic. Not, not when, when he healed the paralytic at, at the pool of Bethesda, multiplied the fish and the loaves, turned the water into wine. The only time that he ever explicitly and expressly told his disciples, do as I do, imitate me in this, was when he took off his robe, put on a towel, and he washed the disciples' feet. That tells me serving in the kingdom is kind of a big deal. And him frustrated. He's like, guys, you haven't learned it yet? And see, one of the things here at Access Church is, is one of our core values is servant leadership. Here, if you're a leader in Access Church, all that means is that you're the first servers. You're the first to clean. You're the first to sweep. You're the first to mop. You're the first to vacuum because that's who we are. Me as a pastor, I'm not exempt from serving in God's house. Just because I'm the pastor and I'm anointed doesn't exempt me from serving. And they'll tell you that you'll find me here some days when nobody wants to do it. You'll find me here cleaning God's house. Because as the lead pastor, I'm the lead server. Because that's what Jesus taught me. So the attitude of a servant is one who is submissive, committed, excellence, available, doesn't seek recognition or reward. Can you imagine? There's so many people that want to do things, but they want a plaque or a certificate. But that's not the attitude of a servant. Number two, the second indicator of your spiritual maturity is your activity. I know I'm going to step on some toes here, right? The problem with the modern church is that we have become Christians and we have become, become consumers instead of sons and servants. Your actions in the kingdom speak louder than your words. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7.20. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. So listen to this. Maturity in the kingdom of God is not based on longevity, but it's based on your level of activity. It's crazy. I travel and I preach at all kinds of churches, and people say, Pastor, I've been here 45 years, and I get all excited. I'm like, awesome, what do you do in the church? Where do you serve in kids or youth, hospitality as an usher, greeter? No, I sit on the first row. I'm not impressed because you have 45 years. You don't impress me how many, how many years you've been coming to church. You impress me by how you serve in the church. I knew it was going to get quiet. <laughs> We're talking about kingdom identity, right? In maturity... Is your activity. What does a baby do? Nothing. Feed me, burp me, change me, visit me, preach me, sing me. Oh, no, that's a spiritual baby. A baby just cries. They just want all the attention. They're needy. But I have never seen Micah help with the dishes. I've been after him. He just don't get it. He doesn't clean his room. I, I, I would be good if he just changed his own diaper. <laughs> I'd be good with that. But he doesn't even do that. But you know what? His activity level reflects his level of maturity. So a, a baby in the physical doesn't do anything in their house. So what does a baby in the spirit do? in their church house. Let me ask you this. When you, 
where are you serving in the church? As a member of the household, you have a responsibility to contribute to the household, right? Because the Bible says we're a family. Nobody wants to be that one person that shows up at the potluck with nothing, right? We all have those family members that they show up and they just bring an appetite or maybe a can of corn. They, they're rolling like eight deep in the family and they bring a can of corn. They don't even warm it up. They bring it in the can, like at least put some butter, some salt, and some, you know, some pepper on it. Like here's, no, right? Your level of activity reflects your level of spiritual maturity. And finally, number three, how we handle adversity demonstrates our level of maturity. Adversity. Let me tell you this. Conditions in life, in work, in ministry will never be perfect. I'm going to tell you right now. If you're new to Access Church, we're not perfect. I'm not a perfect pastor. I am, I am, I am telling you now that if I haven't yet at some point, I'm going to drop the ball. I'm going to fail you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess up. I, I don't know. I'm, I might speed past you because you're going too slow on the loop, right? I promise not to give you half a peace sign because my fingers are saved, right? I wouldn't do that. But at some point, we're not perfect, right, in, in church, right? But if, if you're looking for a perfect church, I'm, I'm going to save you time, John. You stay quiet, bro. You're not in this conversation, okay? At some point, you're going to realize that we're all human, that we're not perfect, right? But how we handle adversity is, is a reflection of our spiritual maturity, right? Because there will be adversity. Jesus said, in this world, you will have much affliction, right? He, in this world, you will have much affliction, that's just the reality. In church, we're going to have challenges. We're going to have difficulties. We're going to have disagreements and misunderstandings. But when you're mature, you don't just throw it away and walk out. I was telling the people in Del Rio, we've had a family that has left our church four times. Literally, they leave and then they come back. And then they realize that we're still not perfect, and then they leave again. And then they came back and realized that we're still, I don't know, maybe they're waiting that God's going to bring revival and we'll all be perfect. But they've left four times. And next time they come back and say, we're still not perfect, right? You stay if you want. We love you. But we're not perfect. We're going to drop the ball. We're going to make the mistake. That's just the reality of this. But how we handle adversity reflects our level of maturity. Do we throw tantrums? Do we have negativity, negativity, blame? Do we not take responsibility? Do we see things with positivity or optimism? Let's look at how Paul handled adversity. As I ask Caleb to come up, we're going to close. Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 14, he says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward for what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. I mean, aren't these amazing, encouraging words of the Apostle Paul? He's like, man, I'm not perfect. I don't pretend to be perfect. I haven't achieved it. God is still working on me. But one thing that I do is I press on, right? I press on. I, I forget what lies uh, uh, behind and I look forward to what lies ahead. And I'm like, man, these are amazing, encouraging words. But then I realize that Paul is writing these after he's been beaten, he's whooped. Now he finds himself in stocks and in prison. And there he is. I see, I see Paul in my mind in stocks. His head, his arms, and his legs were in the stocks. And they made sure they tied him up double, like double tie. Why? Because the last time they tried to put him in prison, he began to sing and all the chains break. And I imagine they're like, oh, this time that's not going to happen. And there he is. And he's bound and he can't even write. So he has to call his servant. Hey, can you write this for me? And he begins to write these words. Now, imagine here he is. 
Paul could have been the one like, God, how could you abandon me? How, how is it that I, I gave everything up to follow you? I gave up my wealth, my possessions, my influence, my affluence. I gave up everything and look where that got me. I'm sitting here in prison. I'm a prisoner. I, 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 God, really? But Paul doesn't do that. He's sitting there in the stocks, chained, bound. And he says, I haven't achieved it yet. There's still a lot that, that God has to do in me. But one thing I do is I press on. I forget what lies behind. And I look forward to what lies ahead. And reading this in hindsight, I'm like, dude, you're about to die. Like, what are, you, what are you looking forward? Like, it's almost over. You're like at the end of the story. But instead of Paul throwing a temper tantrum because he's in prison for preaching the gospel, he says, I'm going to use this opportunity to encourage some people. And see, when you're a mature believer and you're going through things and, 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 and things aren't working out, maybe your marriage is on the rocks, your finances are on the rocks, maybe your business is on the rocks, maybe your health is on the rocks, well, you've got to know that when you're spiritually mature, you can realize that, God, if you want to use my adversity as a testimony of your faithfulness and your goodness, God, it's okay because I'm not here out of my convenience. I'm here out of commitment. And if you you went to the cross for me, God. There's nothing in this world that I will not suffer to give you glory. And there he was. Instead of throwing a temper tantrum, instead of leaving the church, he was in jail. He began to look forward and was able to encourage everyone else, even in his time of need. I'm going to tell you, conditions in this life will never be perfect. And we have to learn to work with what there is. That's why he says you've got to be fruitful. You have to mature before you multiply. Why? Because unfruitful growth in the body is called cancer. When you begin to grow unfruitfully, in your physical body, it, it's a tumor, it's a, it's a growth that actually depletes the body of, of its health, its strength, its wholeness, its nutrients. And the same thing happens in the spiritual. When you allow adversity to govern your emotions, you allow adversity, the way people have failed you, the, pay, the way people have let you down and the people have hurt you, you allow that, that also begins to be unfruitful growth and becomes a spiritual tumor. So we have to be fruitful. We have to mature before we multiply. See, someone who doesn't worship will reproduce someone who doesn't worship. Someone who doesn't praise will reproduce someone who doesn't praise. Someone who doesn't serve will reproduce someone who doesn't serve. Someone who doesn't tithe will reproduce someone who doesn't tithe. Because you reproduce what you are. So God says it's important before you extend the kingdom, you've got to establish the kingdom of God in you. That means you've got to try to be as much like Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to close with this picture. Oftentimes, this religious construct and these religious paradigms gives us a, 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 a pious picture, but it's, it's false, right? And sometimes we just walk around and say, man... I'm just, a, I'm just a servant saved by grace, right? I'm just a sinner saved by grace, right? Or you seen that bumper, that bumper sticker, and I hope none of you have it on your car, you know, right? I, I just hope, please, God, please don't let them come today, right? Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven, right? And it sounds so pious and so devout and so, so spiritual, right? Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. But when I look at the parable of the prodigal son, when he was at the lowest of the low, in the filth with the pigs, like you got to understand for the culture, that was even lower than having to wash people's nasty, 
feet. And Jesus says that this son who was the servant of a wealthy nobleman found himself in the pig's pen, in the pig's sty, feeding the pigs. He was at the lowest. What does he say? The Bible says when he comes to, he goes back. He says, you know what? I'm going to go to my father's house and just be a servant because even the servants eat better than this. And I hope you know the story. The Bible says that when he comes home, he tells his father, I want to be a servant. Will you accept me as a servant in your house? And the dad is like, dude, really? Like, you're my son. You're not a servant. I could never see you as a servant. I can only see you as my son. You have my image. You have my likeness. You have my last name. You have, because they were Latino, you have a nickname, right? You, 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 you are a part. I could never see you as anything else than seeing you as my son. And he brought him a robe, a ring, and some really cool chanclas. And he welcomed him in. And nowhere in that picture, in that metaphor of God's love for us, do we see the prodigal son, I'm just a, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Uh-uh. He walked with a sense of dignity because he was restored. He wasn't a sinner saved by grace. He was just restored to his rightful place as a son. And that's who you are. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're a person that's been saved and restored to your rightful place as a kingdom citizen, as a son and daughter of the king with the same authority that the king has. Will you stand? Lord, we just love and we thank you, God. Thank you for reminding us once again who we are in you. God, we're not just forgiven, imperfect people. What Jesus, your son, Jesus did was restore us as sons and daughters to our rightful place, reinstated to our rightful place. God, and we thank you for this beautiful picture of who we are. And I pray that we would never lose sight of who we are in you and that we would walk in the fullness of your power in the fullness of your glory, in the fullness of that authority, of that identity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.